you want to grab your Bible and open up to John chapter 8, verse 12. Why don't you stand with me and uh, I'll read the text and you can uh, follow along and it'll give us some good background uh, as we get into the word today. So John eight twelve. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, Many believed in him. And Lord, I do pray that as these words are spoken over us, many would believe in you. In believing, they would have light and follow the light. In believing in you, they would not perish and die in their sins, but that your spirit would do his good work of convicting us today of our sin and of righteousness found in Jesus Christ. And in judgment to come, both as reward and as wrath, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we believe in you, we would have that hope of reward. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Titling today's sermon, Jesus, the Light of the World. One of John's favorite descriptions of Jesus in this gospel is that he is light. It's The second of seven great I am statements found in the Gospel of John. 
The first being, I am the bread of life from chapter 6. And as we get into this text today, first we want to look at some context behind it. This follows right after chapter 7, where Jesus is still in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast is a commemoration of God's faithfulness to provide for the children of Israel as they wandered about in the wilderness. And so far as Jesus has been ministering in Israel, he's been speaking to the people of God's faithfulness. In chapter 6, when he said, I'm the bread of life, he was speaking to the children about the memories of God providing manna in the wilderness. And now he's providing a true and better manna, a bread sent from heaven that will never perish, never go away, and will satisfy you for eternity. From the bread of life statement and the multiplication of the fish and the loaves, uh, the, the disciples were rescued from the storm at sea, a symbol and a reminder of God rescuing the people out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, it takes some digging and some studying of context to, to understand that, but there's this picture there of, uh, of God's rescuing of his people in the time of the escape from Egypt. And so then he went down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast having this great ceremony, the water ceremony, where the priests would go down to the pool of Bethesda and they would gather up bowls, golden bowls full of water in a great ceremony every day, seven days, they would go and get this water in golden bowls and carry it on their heads back to the temple, pouring it into the basins, remembering the battle over Jericho as they would sing and blow trumpets and march around in circles and, and remember the, the, uh, the water of life that flowed out of the rock as, as it was struck by Moses. And that's when Jesus said, uh, spoke of the waters of life that flow freely, that when he dies and rises from the dead, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all those believe. And if anyone would believe in me, out of his heart would flow torrents of living water. All of these things provide help for understanding the context of what's going on in all of these different statements from Jesus. And then following the, the woman caught in adultery, the beginning part of chapter 8, there's a whole lot behind that. You can listen to last week's study from that. Now we have another statement about I am the light of the world, and, and none of this is random. None of this is without background. Jesus says this because it's still the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the wrapping up of that feast time. And one of the ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles is that giant torches would be lit in Jerusalem, specifically some torch-like chandeliers that would cause the city to glow and to shine from quite a distance away. You could see this great city on a hill. And it's as part of this ceremony, the uh, remembering of the pillar of fire that would lead the children of Israel through the wilderness, Jesus speaks to the Jews and speaks to them that he is that light. He is the light of the world. And so that's a bit of the context. And the Israelites were trained up to be singing and remembering of this great light, Psalm 27 1 says that the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid 
We know from the scriptures that the word of God or the law of the Lord is a light and a guide to the path of those who would cherish instruction. So your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's light is shed abroad across the world in his revelation of himself. And in his salvation, it is light. Light has been said by the Jews to be Yahweh in action. Remembering Psalm 44, 3. And so when Jesus says here in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He's speaking it from, in the context, the location of the treasury in the temple. Verse 20 tells us that. Uh, probably in nearby the women's quarters. There at the treasury, there, we know from the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was sitting there at the treasury when the woman came and gave uh, just from her pennies, you know, uh, out of, the, out of uh, her poverty, she gave abundantly. And there were 13 trumpet-like receptacles where people would give to the work of the Lord, the work of the temple, the miscellaneous needs that were out there. And, uh, and it's from that area where there were also women allowed that uh, Jesus would speak this great sermon uh, to the Jews. It was with an evangelistic heart that he chose this location. I like what Begg says. It was maximum opportunity with the maximum number of people. There was strategy from Jesus here in reaching out with the good news to reach the most with the message of Christianity. This is like the populated place. This was the, the spot to speak such a message about life and light. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but, but because by it I see everything else. So Jesus is going to speak here in the treasury of the temple of the light of the Lord and that he is it, that it's by him that we have the right perspective, by him that we see true light. As Psalm 36, 9 says, for with you is the foundation of life. In your light, we see light. I've always loved that phrase. In your light, we see light. Nowhere else has light. Nowhere else has true joy, true satisfaction, true illumination. But in the light of the Lord Jesus. Apart from Jesus, the world is simply unknowable the world begins to make sense because of jesus and your life will only make sense when you know jesus until the light of this world jesus illuminates your heart you'll never be able to make sense of this world this is all a little bit of the context behind a simple statement from jesus i'm the light of the world Seems like not such a big deal. Let's move on. Let's go on to the next chapter. It's a big deal. Jesus is speaking something very deep, not only to the Jews, but also to us. And we'll see that in just a second. That's a little bit of the context behind it. Let's look at the content in it. The essence of his statement. I am the light. What he's saying in essence is I am divine. I am divinity. I am God. The cults will say 
And this is really the main way you can just right away figure out if something is a cult, false teaching. Who do they say that Jesus is? If he's a mere man, if he is a created being, if he's an angel or just a prophet, but he's not God, the creator of the world, the second person of the Trinity, that is against Christian orthodoxy. That is against what is to be believed about the Christian faith. And since the very beginning, even in the Old Testament, we knew that God was going to come and be, dwell among us, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, and even giving his life for his own creation. And the cults will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. And that is completely false, and especially in the Gospel of John, the whole theme of John is that Jesus is God. Jesus will say that he's God multiple times. The Jews will understand that Jesus said that he was God. Jesus understood that he was saying he was God, and Jesus would be crucified because he said that he is God. And in this section, verses 12 through 30, We're going to see multiple statements from Jesus that have either directly or connotations of his divinity. And so the Jews knew even here that Jesus was getting to the point that he is divine. He's referring to Isaiah 49.6. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore and preserve the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. This messianic prophecy, the Messiah would be the light, not only to the Jews, we're going to see in just a minute, the second thing in Jesus's statement, but to the Gentiles as well, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. The coming eschatological age in end times would be a time when the Lord himself would be a light for his people. A light for the Gentiles. Light that is salvation. Saving people to the ends of the earth. We just read through the minor prophets during our week of prayer and fasting. Gathering three times a day. And some of these minor prophets are great memories of two weeks ago in Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so the minor prophets would speak of, even though the minor prophets spoke of death and destruction and judgment that comes through our sin, those minor prophets never would leave those warning statements apart from the hope that Jesus would send the Messiah, or that God would send the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the second person of the Trinity, to come and set up his kingdom and bring light and life back to the world and back to Jerusalem. There would be such righteousness coming with healing in his wings that there would be health. There would be health and fruit and productivity. Our book, John, began with this great declaration of Jesus being light. In chapter 1, verse 4, in him, this is speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
There was a man sent from God. This is John. This man came for a witness, verse 7, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John the Baptist, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I don't know if you're catching the light, 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 light phraseology. I'm not trying to make any political statement here, but I did happen to hear uh, Trump's defense attorney splice together all the times that the Democrats would use the word fear in their speeches and their election speeches. And I was actually just going to sleep and I had a podcast on and I wasn't paying attention. And then I'm hearing a defense attorney like, okay, so this is all the times you guys said it, you know, and, and there was like, Four minutes of just the word fear being used. Fear, or I'm sorry, fight. Fight, 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 fight. You know, and I'm, this is no political statement. Just, there was a lot of words fight in there, you know. And uh, get ready because today it's light, okay. Light, 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 light. It's Christmas time, you guys. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's the gospel. What does it mean that he is light, light and life to all he brings? He's going to say in the next chapter in John 9, 5, As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. What about when he's not in the world? Well, then he passes that torch on to his disciples when he would say, now you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be easily hidden. You're full of the Holy Spirit now. Power and fire and illumination. Now go out as Christians. It means little Christ. I'm not saying that we're Jesus here. But we represent him to this world. Little Christ, little torches, little fire embers out there. The light of the world. John chapter 12, in a few weeks we'll be there. Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And so we had the essence of his statement. And the essence of his statement is divinity. He is God. And now we have the extent of his statement. Okay, so you're the light of the world. How far does that reach? How far does that go? And it is in that phrase, of the world. How far reaching is his light? It's global, you guys. This is super encouraging for those of us that are on the opposite end of the world from where he spoke this. We would be reading this and going, man, it would be nice to be over there where he was the light at some point. And it's, no, it's global. The extent is that it reaches all the way to Oregon and even beyond geographical bounds, it reaches to the rich and his light reaches to the poor and to the youngest and the oldest. It reaches to the Jew and the Gentile alike. It reaches to the successful and it reaches to those that are just complete failures and can't do anything right. No matter who you are, Jesus is God and he will come and illuminate your world and bring hope into your heart. He will change you. 
He will drive the darkness away. And we look around us, and evidence of darkness is all around us. Death, decay, divorce, suffering, severance, darkness. It's here that Jesus declares the true state of men and women. For there to be light, you've got to realize that there's darkness somewhere. And the whole of Scripture tells us that that darkness came when we rebelled against God. When we said, I'll do it my way, thank you very much. I know better than you, creator of the universe. Just trust me for a little bit. Just let me run with this. And right away, it went bad. And for the rest of human history, it's gone bad. And even we, who have such a beautiful nation and such a great 200-and-something-year-old history, just such wonderful things, we realize it's still darkness. There's still depravity. This is not the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But this isn't it apart from you, Jesus. There must be more than this. We need more of your light. And the hope is for us today, as Jesus follows up by saying, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. And so there's the essence is that he's divine. The extent is that it's for the whole world. And now there's an invitation from his statement. And it's an invitation to follow him, to follow the light. You've heard the statement, don't go into the light, Billy. Go into the light, Billy. Follow the light. If you follow him, speaking of forsaking yourself and your ways so that you can be about him in his ways. There is no light apart from a right relationship with Jesus. There's no light in half following. There's no light in blazing your own trail. He is the path. It's a narrow path. Walk ye in it. He is the light. There's no other there's no other rainbows, no other illuminations, no other images and visages. No, it's him. The light of the world. Follow him. It speaks of trusting him and obeying him. And in context to the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel, he's speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem and he's saying, "Remember, this is an appropriate thing to do." It was very appropriate to follow that pillar of fire. And when it would stop, you would stop. And you would set up camp. And when it would move, you would move. You would drop everything and pick up everything to follow the presence of the glory of the Lord. And it's the same for us today as we have relationship with Jesus. We realize He is our illumination. When He moves we move. When he goes, we go. When he stays, we stay. We are like Moses. When Moses would say to the Lord, Lord, if you're not going to go with me, then I don't want to go. I want to follow you, Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 tells us that you are all sons of light and sons of the day. It speaks to Christians of that illumination that happens from knowing Jesus. And that we're not of the night, nor are we of darkness. There's application from that. There's implication from that. 
It's good news. He has illuminated us. He has made us see him. He's cleansed us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love into light. But there are implications from that. And it is in verse six. Therefore, we should not sleep. For in the day, we should not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, it's at nighttime. They're drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. You ready for battle? Put on your best breastplate of faith and love and not as a helmet, the hope of salvation. When we know the light, we are sons and daughters of day. So let's walk as it. Let's be ready to be used as it. Let's be ready to fight and be a part of the battle. 1 John 1 tells us, this is a great reference if you're able to mark it. 1 John 1, 5. Halfway through 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Brighter than the brightness of a thousand suns. And we've all done it, right? We've all done the old sun stare with our siblings, you know, looking at the sun and see who can stare at it the longest before looking away. Not a great idea. Really bad for your eyesight. And your sister gets to 10, you know, and you get to 12, and then you're blind for a week, you know. It's just not good. When I was welding quite a bit, we'd be going out into the iron yard and getting some steel, and I'd always drop my hood down, and I'd look up at the sun and be like, I'm looking at it. That's incredible. And I would remember this verse from... First John, that he is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And as I'm staring at the sun, I'm like, there's no darkness in the sun. And as we look at Jesus, God is light, and in him there's no impurities, there's no sin, there's no compromise, there's no ability to compromise or ability to sin. There's no darkness at all. And so the implications and the applications and even the imperative for us, something's got to flow from that. And it's in 1 John 1, 6, that if we say we have fellowship with him, we have relationship with Jesus, I know the Lord, you say. But we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Maybe that's a really good and necessary convicting sentence for you today. It's often that I'm around individuals and we begin to talk about God and it's like, oh yeah, the word God throws off their lips so freely and the good Lord and the man upstairs and, and it's clear from life practices that they don't know Jesus. They don't know the light. They're not following the light. There's practice and lifestyles of darkness. Therefore, there is a lying coming out of their life. There's not practicing of truth. And maybe that's you today, and it's a good thing to hear. It's a gift from the Lord that you would hear that today. This is part of our fallen condition focus that we get to when we come to the scriptures we see it's great that there's a light that's wonderful but we've got to understand what that means for us is that there's also darkness that's got to be dealt with there's sin there's compromise there's rebellion there's lusts and bad habits and drunkenness and the language is even used of drunkenness and and at night and just walking in the darkness there's doubt and 
evil unbelief, the book of Hebrews says. Unbelief is evil. Did you know that? Don't believe in Jesus. He's sort of a light, but he's one of many lights. Then you don't believe Jesus. He says he's the light of the world. You believe a whole bunch of stuff, and you're in darkness today. So don't say you know God. You're walking in darkness. You lie. You're not practicing the truth. You've got to hear it. Someone's got to love you enough to tell you. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by him. In Acts chapter 4, we had the middle schoolers memorize it this week, and they said, nor is there salvation found in any other. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, whatever. Sorry, they're in the any other category. There is no salvation found in any other. Nor is there salvation found, or it goes on to say, nor is there salvation found in any other name given among men by which we must be saved. You try to throw your own name in there. I'm a self-made man, pretty successful. My bank account's doing pretty good. My rig's running smooth. What else do I need? You're going to hell. (laughs) You are trusting in yourself. And there have been billions of people throughout world history that said this chariot's running amazing today. I can, you know, splice an arrow with an arrow. You are relying on your own strong arm and you are going to perish. You're no better than those people of the ancients. Come to the light today. Go into the light. Just one time, it's okay. All right? Go into the light, Billy. And that first John passage, just, it's so straightforward. Because first John's all about like, hey, if you say this, oh, I'm godly, I'm a Christian, but you do this, then you're lying. And John just calls it like, and he's the apostle of love. He's the guy, like, sometimes I would lay back on Jesus' chest at the dinner table. What? We're buddies. Deal with it. By the way... If you say you're a good Christian boy, but you're walking and practicing habitual sin, you're lying, you're walking in darkness, you're not practicing the truth, and you need to repent. You need to repent. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When people speak the truth, it bruises. But you know what? The kisses of the enemy are deceitful. The world will tell you what you want to hear. Just sweet little tasty trifles. Just sweet little kisses. Oh, just tell me about how awesome I am. They'll tell you that straight to the pits of hell. You'll be separated from God forever. And the good news is from John as well that if we walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, DC Talk made it very famous. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. Isn't it amazing when we're walking in darkness, it just severs our friendships and our relationships, and we can't be around one another. We've got to just like, go hide in a dark corner. I've just got to be by myself for a while until I figure this out. You're not going to figure it out on your own. Just walk back into the light. Let that holy ultraviolet ray just burn away all the, all the moss or whatever it is that was growing on you. And when you walk in the light, we're walking in fellowship with one another. We can look each other in the eye and speak truth to one another and receive correction from one another and walk in the light 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. As we're walking in the light, it just shows that the redemption of Jesus has covered us and is covering us. The three tenses of salvation. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so Jesus says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I really appreciated that word have. It's in the future, and it's in the active tense, and it means that we will possess Jesus. We hold on to him, and it even has connotations of wearing him, (laughs) experiencing him. When you come to Jesus, you will have him. You will have the light of life. And then a challenge comes. The Pharisees don't appreciate this statement. The Pharisees, verse 13, therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. They really just appreciated this nice up-hearted, upbeat message about light. No, they did not appreciate it. And instead of responding to the real issue, they get hung up on a legal technicality, even something that Jesus himself said from back in John chapter 5. But they're up to their old tricks. Instead of just receiving from Jesus and letting them speak to him and lead him in the ways of everlasting, they don't like him. He's an affront to their religiosity, self-righteousness, and so they've just got to be a thorn in his side. And so instead of, you know, putting on their cool little um, suntan bed glasses and being like, in the presence of Jesus, this is awesome. Messiah is here. They get all hung up on like, you can't say that about yourself. Who else is going to testify for you? Now, to give them a little bit of cred, in John chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And then he goes on to list four other witnesses to himself, John the Baptist, the works of Christ, the witness of the Father, and the witness of the Scriptures. But what he was saying to them was, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true to you. I realize you need something else to back this up. I'm telling you, and he's going to say that I have got witnesses. I got plenty of witnesses to back me up. I've got the Father backing me up. In verse 14, kind of a great subtitle for this moving into it is that Jesus gave up heaven to give us heaven. How can Jesus say such a thing about him being light? Well, because he came from heaven. In verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. See, in John chapter 5, if I bear witness of myself, it's not true to you, all right? But it's still true, all right? Uh, So, for I know where I came from and where am I going, but you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. His opponents here, the Jews that begin to challenge him in his I am the light of the world statement, they have no right to speak because they don't know 
where he came from. There was a great musical that happened there at the Feast of Tabernacles where they all began to sing, where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, where'd you come from and where did you go? And Jesus is like, you don't even know. I'm sitting here trying to tell you guys and you won't listen to me. Now turn that music off. He's going to be speaking to them. I came from heaven and I'm going back to heaven. And you guys are challenging me in my simple statement of the context of the Feast of Tabernacles and the illumination of the lamps and the torches and the light. And I'm telling you, that is me because I'm God and I've come to rescue you all. But you're stuck and hung up down here. In verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. That was their problem. They were temporary. They were all about earthly glory and earthly prestige. And they're resorting to the criteria of the flesh, of fallen mankind in a fallen world. They had no compelling control of the Holy Spirit, giving them insight to hear what Jesus was saying. Their judgment was fleshly. And we can fall into that. Even on that day when Israel was getting a king, And Saul was rejected because of his pride. And so another king, a man after God's own heart, was picked. Picked from the tribe of Jesse. Good stock, you know. Good young men. And you know the story from 1 Samuel 16, 7. And all of these big brothers of David come before the prophet Samuel. Perhaps this is the king of Israel. This ought to be the next one. Look at those biceps and triceps, you know. Look at the delts on this one. Look at him throw a spear and look at that beard it goes all the way down to his belly button i mean that's royal you know and samuel just kept saying pass pass swipe right i don't know really how that works but i think he did i think he was like nope 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 you know and there was no one left none of these guys are them something discerning going on here in the spirit not these guys don't you have any other sons you stopped at like six you know and you know, oh, well, there's one more, but he's out watching the sheep right now, you know, and go get him, bring him here. And it was this red-headed, ruddy, good-looking young man. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his physical statute, and this is from the first brother, because I've refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And these Jews, they were looking at Jesus' outward appearance, and Isaiah 53 says about the suffering servant Jesus, there was no form or comeliness in him that when we looked at him, we would desire him. I mean, when Jesus walked into the temple court, the Bee Gees weren't playing, you know. It's like, you can tell by the way I use my walk, you know. (laughs) That wasn't why, okay, He was like a dry bush, Isaiah 53 says, like a twig coming out of the ground. You know, that was, I mean, that you would have to want to follow him because of the witness, the anointing of the spirit on his life. And they were looking at just the outward appearances. What can the flesh offer us? How could he maybe kick the Romans out of Dodge? What can he do here? Jesus says, you guys are just fleshly, temporary, about earthly glory. And he says, I judge no one. He will judge. 
And he would discern, no doubt, but his first coming was not a coming of judgment, it was a coming of salvation. He will come again one day, and in his second coming, it will be a coming of judgment, where wrath will be poured out upon those that have rejected him. Carson says Jesus means that he doesn't judge anyone at all the way his opponents do. He does not appeal to superficial, fleshly criteria, and according to that, mark people up or down. Because verse 16 goes on to say, and yet if I do judge, I don't judge your way, but if I do judge, my judgment's true, not based on those earthly appearances. It's a judgment where I'm not alone, he says, but I'm with the Father who sent me. If I judge, NIV says, my decisions are true. I stand with the Father who sent me. Verse 17, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one, verse 18, who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. I wrote in my notes as I was reading that, after what Jesus said about judgment and two witnesses, I just put, is this a kosher statement? Is this kosher? Of course, but how? Sometimes you just got to write questions down as you're like, And then, appreciating D.A. Carson, he is peculiarly the one who testifies with full qualification for doing so, for the reasons specified in verse 14, 16. The other one qualified to do so is the Father. And in chapters 4 through 16, the Holy Spirit will also be given as a qualified judge. Questions asked in verse 19, where is your Father? They like to deflect, right? Like light of the world here. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Who's your father? You know, like you're not listening. They said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Again, they think purely human plain. Perhaps they're picking on him a little bit here. Like we heard about the virgin birth guy from nazareth right might be a little bit of picking on him going on or just some just unaware of what where jesus is from verse 20 goes on to say these words jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come verse 21 then jesus said to them again i'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sins where I go, you cannot come. Here's the origin of Jesus' authority that shows he is authentic. That he has come from heaven and he's going to heaven again. He's going to a place where they can't come, even if they would seek him. And the method that they're trying to come or would try to come, they wouldn't make it anyways. And there's this great phrase that's going to be mentioned three times in the rest of our text here. You might underline it. It's again what we call the fallen condition focus. It's where we show our desperate need for a savior. Because he is speaking to some of the most religious, self-righteous, outwardly polished, full of rules, rituals, and religion. I mean, these guys reeked of religion. Okay? And he's telling them, 
you will die in your sins. They need a savior. They need redemption. They need atonement. How could it be otherwise? To reject the son Jesus is to reject the father. We saw that in chapter 5 verse 23. So how will they enter the presence of the father in the last day if they are in a state of leaning on their own self-righteousness and not leaning on the righteousness and resting in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, don't tune out, guys, okay? Give me the next 12 minutes, okay? 12 minutes? You guys can do that. That's worth a slap in the face. Okay, I can do that, okay? We do the same things, Americans. We do the same thing, grew up in a Christian home. We do the same thing. I'm Lutheran, I'm Methodist, grandpa planted the first church of Springfield or whatever, like, You're leaning and resting on your pedigree. Don't do it. The Jews did it, and they would die in their sins for it. you got to rest in grace. Grace changes everything. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. My dog, Dudley, he's a wiener dog. Love him to death. To death. Every time he eats, he has a heart attack, okay? Rude. And I learned from a special veterinarian friend this week that they're called trembling wretches or something like that. Tremoring wretches. You know, then he gets over and he eats his food every time, okay? He just gets excited about lunch like I do, all right? And I go, it's just like the gospel that saved a trembling wretch like me. Yeah? And like you, believe it or not, you're awesome. I think you're awesome. You're a trembling, tremoring wretch. Okay? We once were lost. Now we're found because of the light. We were blind, but now we see stuff writes itself i put zero work into this today you can probably tell i kid you will die in your sins jesus told the jews in jerusalem but it's just as relevant to us as if it were spoken to us today to die in one's sins is to die in an unrepentant state with our sins unatoned for and for the jews it would be too late for them He's going to say that when they realize who he is, they'll already have lifted him up on the cross. They'll already have crucified him. There is no conversion and the joy of God until you're made aware of your sin and the judgment for your sin. And praise be to God, the judgment that was upon my sins and the sins of this world were laid on him at the cross. That anyone who says amen to that and trusts in that, you will not die in your sins. You will not perish. That's good news. You'll have everlasting life. And he is glorified. Who will die in their sins? The answer is fourfold as we wrap up. What are we on? Minute number four right now, I think, of our 12? Something like that? Okay. I think so. It's one of my spiritual gifts is telling time. 
Who will die in their sins? The answer is fourfold. Verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. Who will die in their sins? It's the self-reliant scoffing mockers. In the Greek, it has like a connotation that the answer is, will he kill himself? No. What's he doing? He's going to go kill himself? They knew the rabbis said that those that killed themselves had a special place in Hades reserved for them in the darkest corner. This is a Jewish tale, okay? And Jesus will actually use this phrase against them. I'm not going to kill myself, but I'm going to lay my life down, okay? You're going to kill me, but I'm going willingly so that I can atone for the sins of the world. And so it's those that are the mockers that will die in their sins. Verse 23, he says to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. And so he's saying he's divine, sent from heaven. And he's also telling mankind their condition apart from him. Worldly, temporal, perishing, below. Okay, he says it twice there. So who are those that will die in their sins? Those that remain worldly. Those that are never born again. Those that rely upon the flesh. Verse 24 Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. Why'd you tell me I'm going to die in my sins, pastor? Because you're worldly. You're carnal. You've never repented of your sin and turned to the Savior for your sins. You've never turned for atonement for yourself. Therefore, I say to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not, underline this word, believe, if you do not believe, Trust in him, rest in him, say amen to him, receive from him that Jesus is the Christ, the savior of the world. You will die in your sins. Learned in biology freshman year that when there's a concept repeated, it's on the test. Third time, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. If you don't believe in me, if you don't follow the light, you will die in your sins. You will perish. I told you you would die in your sins, the ESV says. And then there's this beautiful word, unless. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Worship team, you can come on up. As we get to verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning you know those action movies, right, where this hero comes in and he just takes out all the bad guys? And then that final bad guy's like, who are you? And then he has that awesome catch line before he takes him out, you know. This is, yeah, I am legend or whatever it was, okay. <clears throat> and they do that to Jesus. Jesus is just speaking such beautiful, marvelous, light wisdom here. And he says, I've been saying it to you from the beginning, I'm divine. I've come from above. Who are those that will die in their sins? Those who do not know him. Those who are blind. Verse 26, I've said many things to you. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things that I've heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I'm He. 
What he's speaking of is his death, his crucifixion, when he'll be lifted up. He says it in John chapter 3, just like the serpent was lifted up. And that if anyone would look at that bronze serpent, they'd be healed from their poisonous snake bites. From the book of Numbers. In the same way, Jesus will be lifted up on the tree, lifted up on the cross. That anyone who is suffering from the snake bite of sin, they would look to him and they would be healed. And the phrase is used again, they will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And so as we close up, you can set your Bibles aside. And such an important time as we've read the word. And we've been confronted with some hard truths. That we are sinners. In darkness. Children of darkness. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are children of wrath. And we've got to understand that that is our condition apart from Jesus. That is is a condition that we've earned. We did it. I did it. But I also inherited it. I inherited this dark and sinful condition from my great-granddad, Adam. It's in me and it's on me. But then just to put a couple cherries on top, I went ahead and just solidified it by doing my own sin too. Yeah, granddad, but also I got this stuff. And I chose sin, and I've imputed sin upon myself. I have walked in darkness. Have you? You got to own it. You got to confess it. I see what you see, Jesus. But I hear that you are light. And I hear that you are life. And I hear that I won't die in my sins if I believe in you. If I say yes to you. If I hear this message of the atonement from the blood of Jesus that washes away my sins. Cleanses me from an evil conscience. Sprinkles my heart with clean water. And gives me a new heart and a new life. So now I can follow you and live a life pleasing to you. If I believe in you, I won't die in my sins. That's grace. That's a wonderful gift of forgiveness. And that I can follow the light. By God's grace, we can follow the light today. Following that light and walk in darkness no more. And today as we close in song, I just, I plead with you, To confess a life of dark sin. That you know what you've done in turning away from God. In your past, in your childhood, just let it all before the Lord. Just bring it all before Him. Even this morning, here's what I've done this morning. Here's what I've got an inclination to do this afternoon. Forgive me, Lord. Wash my sins away. Make me as white as snow. Clothe me in your righteousness. Shine on me with this holy light that I've been hearing about. And as we close in song today, I just invite you to stand.
as you just have that time with the Lord. You can just stay sitting for a while, or maybe you just want to remain seated. That's fine. But if you know that you just need to come to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, you need to, in his light, see light today. You need to have him expose the dark and hidden recesses of your heart and clean house today. You need him to put a purpose in your heart to follow after him and to follow that light and walk in the light as he is in the light. You know you need to believe in him today in his way that he's made available for you. Believe in him and you will not die in your sins. And just as you let the Lord do business with you today, you just let him cleanse you. You let him illuminate you. You let him wash you clean today. Let him shine that million candle power spotlight of his goodness into your life. Maybe you would just stand during this last song as a response to the Lord. You might stand and just be counted with Him. And say, Lord, all that the Bible had to say about me today, I know it's true. And all that the Bible said about you today, wash me away. Give me all of you.